Uh, the Big Ten football landscape. Whether you're standing at the Fitzcarlton at Northwestern overlooking Lake Michigan or enjoying the collage of colors on the banks of the Red Cedar, where it's always a beautiful day for football, one thing is certain. Big Ten football is great. And great truly is the operative word. Stretching from the Great Lakes states in the Midwest, eastward to the birthplace of college football along the Atlantic shores of New Jersey, the cornfield plains of Iowa, to the mountain's majesty in Pennsylvania, the land of Lincoln to Lincoln, Nebraska, from Madtown to Happy Valley, the Big Ten brings a culture of football passion just saturated with tradition. You can always enjoy Champaign, Illinois, or imbibe in the beers and brats of Madison. Boiler up in West Lafayette and Sky Uman, Minnesota. Don't fear the turtle in College Park, Maryland. Like they say in Evanston, trust yourself and expect victory. In the region where the changing of the season means the changing hue of the arboreal foliage, colors appropriately take the forefront in the Big Ten landscape. In Nebraska, they shout, Go Big Red! as they release their 99 or more red balloons. Then they throw up the bones for the black shirts on defense. Purdue loves their old golden black, while the Wildcats carry their purple pride and cast aside any public perception. In the Wolverine state, it's go blue, go green, or go white, or go home. Just know those first two colors never go together. And when someone does yell out go green, be sure to respond with go white to save face and keep your Sparty street cred. And speaking of white, very few things are as intimidating as the famed whiteout in Beaver Stadium to the raucous tune of Zombie Nation where the PSU passionates render the walking dead. See the entertaining entrances that the players make in Big Ten country. The black and gold swarm into Kinnick Stadium in Iowa while their rival Huskers make the tunnel walk that culminates with a touch of the horseshoe on their way out to yet another sellout crowd at Memorial Stadium the state's third most populated location on Saturdays in the fall. Or run out of the tunnel and let your adrenaline propel you upward to slap the famed Go Blue banner at Michigan to a rousing round of the victors. But banners aren't all that get touched in Big Ten backyards. You have your pick of rocks, Illinois' Grange Rock or Hep's Rock at Indiana, commemorating two meaningful program figures. Players touch Kinnick's helmet at Iowa and Testudo, the bronze turtle at Maryland. But be careful. Legend says he's likely to bite the hands off someone unworthy of his presence. Get playful with the dressed mascots like Brutus, Sparty, Herbie, and Herky. And if you're lucky and ask him enough, maybe Goldie the Gopher will spin his head for you. Get in tune with student sections, Illinois' Block I or Ohio State's Block O, Northwestern's Wildside, Iowa's Hawk's Nest, the Quarry at Indiana, or the newly adorned Ross Aid Brigade at Purdue. And as an added treat, listen to those two duke it out in verbal competition as their teams vie for the Old Oaken Bucket in November. Want more trophies? This conference has them. In addition to the bucket, Big Ten teams will play for a bell, a spittoon, a pig, a bull, a turtle, both Paul Bunyan and his axe, a jug, a hat, a cannon, and yes, even a broken chair. And each break and quarter gives us even more fantastic ritual. After the first quarter, join the fans at Kinnick Stadium as they turn to the University of Iowa Stead Children's Hospital and give the children something to smile about. And then just try to count the number of goosebumps you get. 
After quarter number two, join the Marching Illini Band as they do their famous three-in-one song medley that students love to hear. Follow that with the best damn band in the land as they perform a visual display of moving parts that pleases both the eyes and the ears in Columbus. Following the third, join Wisconsin fans as they get out their seat and jump around to the music of House of Pain. Then stay around after the game for the fifth quarter where the University of Wisconsin marching band plays a number of favorites like You Said It All, The Beer Barrel Polka, and even The Chicken Dance, in addition to their honored On Wisconsin and Varsity. Yell O-H-I-O or I-L-L-I-N-I or the simpler Are You? We are Penn State. That's the Big Ten and we are a bowl full of chips. And we have your coverage right now. Good day to you, college football fans. Let us welcome you into Big Ten country this week. Welcome to a bowl full of chips. I am your co-host, Big Chappie, big brother to BIP10. BIP, good evening to you, good sir. Chappie, how you doing? I, uh, I, I'm still a little bit in shock uh, after seeing the, uh, the Duke, North Carolina basketball game uh, and seeing uh, Zion Williamson's shoe looking like a, a tire going through a Michigan pothole. And, right. Uh, <laughs> kind of over with the, uh, the talk, the inevitable talk of paying athletes right now, uh, but I'm dre- dreading the foreseeable future of, of that being the topic of conversation until at least the NBA draft happens, and I'm sure it'll spill over into uh, college football season. Right. I know. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a whole other topic for another time, the whole paying players. Um, uh-huh. I've chimed in to various people, but we haven't touched right. on it on the right. podcast, but we'll purposely save that so that way we can get our ammunition ready because I know that that is probably one of the most polarizing topics in college athletics because it for seems sure. to be – I've never come across anybody who is – in the middle, they're either way far uh, one way or way far the other way. Exactly. So, um, well, we, uh, you know, we're we're doing the amateur thing here as well. So, uh, here on a bowl full of chips, we bring football closer. Bip and I want to thank you for listening. We've been at this only for a couple of months now, and the good thing for you, the listeners, is that we're figuring out all the tricks of the trade and what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's still a work in progress. So we welcome any and all suggestions. And we really appreciate those who can see past the minor snafus that a couple of newbies to uh, podcasting can create. Yeah. And the best way to make this podcast even better is to interact with us via Twitter or email. So let us know what you like and what you would like to hear. You can find us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. And by the way, you can also email us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So those of you who may not be into the Twitter, or maybe you've got an account, but you just don't check it very often, but something comes across and you think to yourself, hey, this would make this podcast even better. Shoot us an email, communicate however is going to be easiest for you. And after listening, help us out by subscribing and also by letting others know about our cast, friends, family, anyone you know that enjoys college football. Hit the share button on your device and you can send it via text, email, or even just mentioning us by mouth or on social media works as well. Your good words need to be heard. So here on Bowlful of Chips, we love college football. Bip and I love to laugh and we love pop. Yes. And for those listening, we are talking about Coke, Pepsi, Sprite, 
pop. <laughs> and if you're talking about soda, you better be talking about cream soda. And why the hell would you even be drinking cream soda in the first yeah, place? Yeah, what, what so. is that? I mean, is unless you're collecting Social Security or you're a uh, celebrating your 20th year anniversary in the AARP, um, get rid of that cream soda stuff, will you? Yeah, the only the only viable use I see is, and I've never done this personally, but I always hear that it's great for cleaning out stains. So for those of you listening, um, yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, I, I I don't know about you, Chappie, but I love pop. I can never get away from drinking Pepsi or Coke. It's it's one of the biggest obstacles when I'm dieting because you know diet pop just tastes terrible. And and the best try that they have out there is Coke Zero, but. I will never drink one of those and think that I'm satisfied as if, you know, if it were a blind taste testing, I'd be like, huh, this tastes like the real yeah. thing. I I never, ever have believed or will believe any of those commercials that they claim that it's a blind taste test. And they're like, oh, I can't tell the difference between Dr. Pepper and Diet Dr. Pepper. If you've ever had either one, there sure as hell is a clear difference. Um, same thing with Coke, same with thing with Pepsi. And by the way, can we just please all get on the Coke bandwagon? I mean, I don't know how much extra it is for restaurants to purchase Coke, but I am willing to pay that extra 60 cents on my meal or even if it's like two bucks because I can't stand it when I go to a restaurant, especially I love drinking Coke when I'm having Mexican food or when I'm having Chinese or something like that. And I'll say, I'll have a Coke, please. And I dread the next words that come out of most vendors' mouths when they say, is Pepsi okay? Hell no, it's not okay. I want Coke. Well, let me ask you, is it cold up there on your pedestal there, Chappie? Because <laughs> I see no problem with having either Pepsi or Coke. Okay. Well, I equate it like this. Pepsi is kind of like Canada. It's good and it does the job, but it's certainly not uh, the real thing. So yeah, it's uh, I'm going to stand up here on my pedestal, damn it. And, and I want a Coke to go with it. So now I'm not going to be picky when I'm, when I'm mixing drinks or, you know, I'm certainly not going to shy it away, but uh, can we please just either you carry both or you, you let somebody know when you walk in the door, Hey, we don't have Coke products because I'll be honest, I am a Coke snob. I might turn away, and that's a deal breaker for me sometimes, Bip. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had the Coke Zero though, Bip? Oh yeah, I, I that's my that's probably my number one go to when I am dieting and trying to watch the old waistline. Yeah. There, if I'm not drinking water and and need a break from that, then then that's the number one go to. I can't stand any diet no. Pepsi, diet Coke anything like that. It, it's got to be Coke Zero or the real thing, or I'm just not going to, I'll just yeah, go with exactly. And I, you know, I think Coke Zero is pretty close, but yeah, again, it's, it's not the same thing. It's, I don't want to say that it's not close, but it's, uh, yeah, you definitely know when you've got a Coke Zero compared to straight up Coke. So yeah. That'll be that'll be one of my happiest days is if these uh, huge soft drink companies can actually come out with a zero calorie uh, soft drink that actually tastes like it's not a diet or a a yeah. zero. <laughs> with all the things that we can do with modern technology and modern chemistry, I'm really surprised that they haven't gotten to that point yet. But I suppose there's bigger uh, bigger problems to solve in the world, huh? I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we're somewhere in the same ballpark. Right. Well, speaking of Twitter, uh, we got to that earlier. I do want to give a Twitter shout out. Bip and I like to do this uh, semi-regularly. And this week, I want to give a shout out to Adam Rittenberg, who is a contributor for ESPN. Um, he's a college football writer. He has a podcast. 
covers the sport and really does a good job giving the finer details. And so Bip and I's episode today, uh, we're going to look at the Big Ten traditions and full disclosure, there was a lot of content that I got and, and became even more knowledgeable about thanks to the work of Adam Rittenberg. So you can find him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. That's at ESPN R-I-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. So give Adam a follow, give him a look. Adam, good work. Keep up the, uh, the good stuff. So today, Bip and I, we are going to start, as always, with our news and notes. There's some pretty big movings and uh, shakings going on in the college football world, both things that have to do with on the field, things that have to do with a little bit of bickering off the field, but still very interesting. Uh, So consider this session of news and notes a little bit of your gossip edition for those of you who are into that kind of thing. And then we're going to get right into the Big Ten traditions and some of the cool stories that um, go through the Midwest and uh, the East, the West of the Big Ten Conference. So what we pride ourselves in here at Bowlful of Chips is being the college football podcast that gives you more than the mainstream potties do. We'll throw more details at you and back our claims with research and perspective. We don't have a political agenda. We're not pen-pushing uh, followers. We're not puppets. Bip and I don't have any corporate dollars yet uh, that are telling us what we need <laughs> to think and what we need to say. We're objectively subjective. We're going to try and keep the good and the bad balanced for all teams. And we'll be both complimentary and critical wherever it's necessary and just. So, Bip, let's throw it right at you. Get into the news and notes. Transfers were a big deal with this past week or week and a half since some of the listeners have tuned in. So tell us about some of the big names that are now off the transfer market. Yeah, uh, yeah. Josh Jackson to Maryland, Jalen Phillips to Miami, Jawan Johnson to Oregon, and George Campbell to Penn State. And I ended up ranking them this way. Number one, I had Josh Jackson. Um, last year, he had he averaged nine point nine yards per attempt, completed over sixty two percent of his passes, and had a five to one touchdown to interception ratio before he was knocked out for the season. Year before that, as a redshirt freshman. Completed almost 60% of his passes with the 20 to 9 uh, touchdown interception ratio and just barely missed throwing for 3,000 yards. He's immediately eligible this year once he graduates um, as a grad transfer. So, I mean, Maryland had no quarterback um, last year and there's no quarterback in his way this year. And you have to figure that if they had a little bit more of a passing game last year, I think they would have been good for at least a couple more wins. So, interested to see how he melds with um the terps and how he and mike loxley can kind of mingle together to bring that uh terrapin offense some some punch in the passing game yeah if uh if maryland had the tc williams junior varsity backup quarterback on their team last year i think that the passing (laughs) game would have had even that much improvement so for those who are unaware josh jackson formerly of virginia tech um, had a pretty good start to his young career as a hokey Injury took him out last year, and I agree with you, Bip. I think that this is a, a, a positive move in the right direction for Maryland, and we're already starting to see the recruiting, and I put that in air quotes, impact that Mike Loxley has. And, and I say it that way because now we see the transfer market is built into that recruiting session, and it goes beyond signing day. So, you know, those people who yeah. have complained that college football coaches make way too much money, I think that now we're starting to see that even more so they are definitely earning those dollars because uh, recruiting, even before the transfer market really took off this past offseason, um, you know, recruiting was a 24-7, 365 
day job or, but now it's even more than that. I think it extends even further and it really uh, tests the uh, marketability and it tests the, the strength of these coaches. Yeah. Recruiting never sleeps for sure. Um, so number two, I had Jawan Johnson from Penn state, uh, going over to Oregon. Now he kind of had a down year last year, but year before he had over 700 yards and you, you have to figure that I, I say what you want about trace McSorley. I wasn't all that impressed. He, he threw for just about 53% or completed just about 53% of his passes this year. You, you figure in my opinion, Jawan Johnson's going to a better passing oh, situation, yeah. Um, in Eugene. So I look for him to have a, a really good year this year as he tries to um, vault himself into the draft. And I think that's a big get for the Ducks. Yeah. And, you know, I agree. Trace McSorley, his success in the passing game, he was a respectable passer, but a lot of it was what he did with his feet to extend plays and to um, get out of the pocket. And it was really the scramble drill a lot. But yeah, 53%, that's nothing really to write home about, especially in a Power 5 conference. Um, but I think Juwan Johnson could be one of those sleeper transfer guys. And, and I was kind of conversating with people on Twitter this week, and some people, even Penn State people, were saying, well, it's not a big loss. He didn't really do much this year. If you've seen the guy on film, he's a great hands receiver. He's a big body. I think that this is going to be a source of reliability for the Ducks, and I think that going to catch passes from Axel Heck, I mean, uh, Justin Herbert, they're going to, um, <laughs> he's really going to benefit, and I think that this is going to be one of those guys who I see him having like a maybe not first team all pack 12, but probably second team all pack 12, especially with Herbert throwing the ball to him and that offensive line, giving him the time. Um, I know there's a lot of hype around the ducks, but uh, that hype is going to be even more deserving now with uh, a secure receiver like Johnson. Right. Right. Number three, I, I put Jalen Phillips. Uh, now this is a guy that was the number one overall recruit, according to some services going into his true yeah. freshman year coming out of high school, uh, really been derailed by injury throughout his time at UCLA only played in six games as a freshman, but did have three and a half sacks, uh, seven tackles for loss last year, only played in four games, but he recorded 20 tackles and, uh, also recorded a sack as well. Now he's most likely going to have to sit out the 2019 season due to the transfer rules, but who knows nowadays, uh, what, what's right. going to pass as a, a, uh, a waiver, uh, that's accepted by the NCAA. So if he gets on the field this year for the hurricanes, um, you know, look out, but, uh, even still, if he has to sit out until 2020, he's going to be someone that if he can stay healthy, should be very dangerous on the uh, defensive side of the ball with all that other talent and, uh, Manny Diaz coaching him up in uh, Miami. Yeah. And I think I heard, you know, you talk about, um, the increasing chances that a, a transfer will get to play immediately. I think I saw that it was like 83% of all, um, athletes who have petitioned for a, a hardship waiver have gotten it. So really, as long as you can prove that you uh, had a hangnail and give it to the NCAA, right. they're, they're most likely going to side with you, especially if you throw out any political action. Um, yeah. Yeah. You throw, you throw anything into the wall, see if it'll <laughs> stick. Worst case scenario, you're right. denied. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> well, and you know, 
all all more powerful to Miami if Phillips can go this year. Now they do have Miami has one of the top trio of linebackers coming into 2019. So if he is immediately eligible, you're looking at him maybe being a an outside rush guy. So they play a four three scheme, mm-hmm. but they certainly you know the nice thing about the four three is you can easily transition to a three four, especially on passing downs. You could put him at an outside linebacker spot slash defensive end, take a, a, a bigger, stronger defensive end out of the game, and he becomes an instant pass rush threat. So, you know, whether they have him this year, whether he has to wait until next year, Miami's defense is going to be good to go and, and, and ready for that. Yeah, if he's only coming in on passing downs and is fresh the entire rest of the game, doesn't have to worry about as much chance of injury, he could be downright scary if he's if he's back. To yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not – a hundred percent caught up on how injury plays into the NCAA's decision on um, allowing players to go right away. But I know that he didn't play uh, too much this past season. Like you mentioned, only four games. So that allowed him to redshirt. And I think that that's something that should be looked at as well in terms of immediate eligibility. It, 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 you know, if you take a redshirt year, uh, even with those four games, um, do you become eligible or, you know, is it right, something to right. where, like we talked about earlier, that maybe it should be lessened to one or two games and that four game redshirt rule is really just if you're staying within the program, it doesn't burn a year of eligibility for you in the college level. But if you're going to transfer, maybe that's a different uh, thing to look at. Right, right. So rounding it out, we have uh, George Campbell uh, real quick transferring from Florida State, um, heading over to Penn State. Now, he's only combined for 13 catches in three years, but was a five star receiver coming out of high school. Um, If I saw right, he's only played in seven games. Uh, So the stats that he has are actually not too bad when you consider the the limited amount of playing time that he's had could complement KJ Hamler and Justin Shorter pretty well over there in Happy Valley as they're going to need uh potentially as many receivers as they can get with their transition to uh from Trace McSorley yeah so, and in um, most accounts I know that people in Happy Valley are saying that Tommy Stevens has got the inside track at quarterback but Sean Clifford to me looked like the better fit in that offense. Um, Ricky Ronnie is a guy who kind of mirrors himself after Joe Moorhead a little bit, but I think that was while they had McSorley. I think that ultimately Penn State's going to want a guy that can sit back and can throw the ball more so than just an athlete um, behind center there. So that'll be an interesting battle going in. And yeah, if you look at George Campbell on paper and, you know, just in pads, the guy looks like a stud, but we'll see what he can do when he has an actual full season of health. I think that injuries have slowed him a bit and then obviously the the turmoil with the end of Jimbo's career at Florida State and then Willie Taggart coming in and the uh, uncertainty that they had and uh, inefficiencies on offense this year so uh, that could be something to where you know he replaces Johnson and they don't see much of a drop-off or it could really benefit Penn State and he takes off and shows his five-star form and, and Penn State is once again a player in the east yeah yeah for sure so moving on to another one of our news and notes, um, we'll, we'll go into Jerry Kill versus uh, PJ Fleck. And and this really caught me by surprise as there didn't seem to be any reason as to the comments that were levied from Coach Kill yeah. to, uh, to, right. to Fleck. Um, now, for those of you unaware, Fleck actually coached under Kill at Northern Illinois in uh, 2008, 2009. And that's kind of what 
the what prompted this this uh, section of the interview was uh, Kill was asked, you know, what were your impressions of uh, PJ Fleck and what's he's doing, what he's doing at Minnesota. Um, essentially, Kill said that he he didn't really like the what was going on and and how uh, Fleck said that the Gophers needed to completely change their culture when he uh, was hired by Minnesota in 2017. And his quote was, do I enjoy him running up and up and down the sidelines? No. Do I think that he's about the players? No, he's about himself. So not really sure why Kiel has that opinion, but I, I honestly could see how Flex antics rub, rub people the wrong way. Um, I mean, he's Flex a great mm-hmm. motivator, but when he when he pays Western Michigan to bring the row the boat, row the boat saying yeah. with him, you have to wonder if he did it for more than just motivational purposes, because there's any number of motivational sayings that you could have and think up as a coach. But when you're paying a university to bring a saying with you, you have to wonder kind of uh, to, to some degree what what flex motivation was. You know, does he want that copyrighted saying for for merchandising? Is he wanting it because he thought of it and he wants to be the one behind it all the time? You know, so. I know speaking personally, when he was at Western Michigan, I couldn't stand the guy mainly because I'm a, a, a Chippewa right. grad, but you know, his, his antics on the sideline and, and seeing him in his uh, halftime speeches and uh, just general interviews, he's a little much. Sometimes. Yeah. It's uh, he's one of those guys. I think that if he's on your team, you love to have him, but if he's not on your team, he, it does wear on you pretty quick. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that new puppy. Um, you know, it's cute and it's it's nice at first, <laughs> but then after a while you're like, "All right, dude, just chill. Give me give me 5 right. minutes to just relax. Why don't you go take it take it yes, off for yes. for just a little bit." And and we haven't seen that. And um, you know, the other thing that I hear about Fleck is he's a very aggressive recruiter almost to the point where you kind of like it makes me um, raise my eyebrows. Like I've heard, and again, this is just uh, from secondary sources, but um, there's been stories where he will allegedly uh, close the door and tell a recruit, uh, "You've got to sign today. Uh, if you don't sign today, we're done with you." And <laughs> um, you know, is that really the the message that you want to send? And I know that he's all about family and he throws around those cute buzzwords like elite and hyper and row the boat and all those things that you see and they're spattered on everything else. And, you know, that's another thing that people talk about is if it's all about the team, why do you see the oars everywhere? I mean, it's one thing to have a, a right. motto and a saying like, you know, Penn State, we'll get into this, but, you know, their whole thing is we are Penn State, right? But you don't see we are plastered across their jerseys and going down the helmet stripe. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you certainly don't see James Franklin's face next to it everywhere you go. So, um, you know, again, it's if if you're Minnesota, you're happy to have him. And truth be told, I think that uh, that was a a good hire for the Gophers. And I don't I don't I don't blame PJ for going in and saying those things uh, like, you know, we do need to change the culture and whatnot, because every coach really does, because. Um, when there's a change, obviously there's something that wasn't working right. Yeah, there's yeah, a reason behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, quickly getting to another little tiff in the coaching ranks, Barry Odom from Missouri and Jeremy Pruitt from Tennessee. Um, Barry Odom was talking with some boosters, I believe, and um, was asked about how Pruitt was being aggressive and going after some of Missouri's players now that they're on a probation and, and a postseason ban this year. And, um, 
you know, what do you think about Pruitt uh, going after those players? Do you think that it's it's right to do, or do you think it's fair game because college football is a business? Well, I honestly don't blame either coach in this scenario. Uh, with the transfer portal, it's a it's a new world in college football, and if seniors can transfer from Mizzou this year without having to sit out a year, why wouldn't you try to get in on the ground floor and see if you can pull some talent right. in Knoxville? I mean, players are entering the, the transfer portal at an alarming rate, and you never know if someone's just teetering on the edge. And if he thinks that, hey, Tennessee's knocking on my door, there's a lot of opportunity for playing time there, and there's also many other uh, good things about going to Knoxville. So maybe, maybe I do transfer and have the opportunity of making a bowl this year, but at the same time, I don't blame Odom at all for being upset for coaches contacting his players who haven't said that they're even thinking about right. transfer and somebody mentioned basically you know uh and i think even odom himself has said now i'm essentially having to re-recruit my own players and and, and again that touches right. on what we mentioned a few minutes ago but i thought that uh, odom's retort was kind of interesting he was he was asking the rhetorical question. He said, Tennessee, who were those guys? Uh, oh, yeah, that, that's the team that we beat 51-14 <laughs> last year. So, yeah, why don't you go yeah. down to Knoxville? Yep. So, <laughs> right, right, yeah. So kind of kind of doing a recruiting plug right there. In but itself. Um, if you read the tea leaves, though, if, if Barry Odom was not worried about Tennessee, he wouldn't have uh, gotten so upset and so agitated at what's going on. You know, if it was if it was yep. Rutgers going after his players, we wouldn't be hearing about this. No disrespect to the Scarlet Knights, but um, it is Pruitt, it is right. Tennessee, and so there's this wave of concern around the league uh, down in the southeast that uh, Pruitt not only is putting the right culture and system in place, but he's a damn good recruiter, and that extends even yeah. beyond 18 year old kids it, it goes into guys who are already established in the program so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out yep. and i for one am ready to watch the tigers and the vols go at it on the field this season that'll be interesting yeah for well sure. enough about the sec we've already done them two weeks ago bip so why don't we get into the big 10 uh and of course the big 10 plus four teams we've got 14 wonderful programs in this conference in the midwest stretching from the great lakes all the way to the atlantic ocean um, so what Bip and I are going to do is we're going to give you our review of the Big Ten on our next podcast. And so out of respect to all of these great universities, we're going to go and give you the traditions and we're going to go in reverse order of the standings this season. And Bip and I are going to, as we have done in the past two podcasts with the SEC and the ACC, we're going to trade off between divisions. And Bip, I will gladly bow to you first, and why don't you start us off in the East and tell us about what's going down in Piscataway, New Jersey with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. All right. Well, to kick things off, as you mentioned, the uh, Rutgers, their their team nickname are, is the Scarlet Knights. Now, they used to be known as Queens College, and their athletic teams were known as the Queensmen, but that changed to the Scarlet Knights in the 1950s. That was probably a good idea. I don't know a... how fired up you'd be to be called the Queensmen. <laughs> Well, and all of their opponents may say that they've played like the Queensmen <laughs> right. this year. But uh, so uh, in the 50s, uh, a campus wide selection process took place and, and they they chose the Scarlet Knights, which I agree with you, uh, a step up <laughs> for sure. Um, now, it, a lot of college football fans may know that Rutgers played the first ever collegiate football game, uh, a win against Princeton. And there's a statue commemorating this that stands in front of the stadium. So before each home game, the players walk through and, and pass through, pass by this statue um, on game days. And uh, they do this while the Rutgers fight song, the bells must ring plays the, uh, 
the team has a actually has a a scarlet knight and a noble steed so a um a knight mascot that rides on a uh, a horse that's all decked out to look like a, a medieval knight and it runs across the end zone after each touchdown and field goal and um a couple of the sayings that Rutgers has they start off with the student section will will yell R and the rest of the fans will yell you and on third downs they play Metallica's for whom the bell tolls and fans actually play air guitar while chanting it's third down so that's what we got for the Scarlet Knights. Chappie, who you got kicking off well, in the West? Well, a, a shout out to all of our Illini fans. And we're going to go to Champaign, Illinois with the Illinois Fighting Illini, whose nickname and mascot, um, and really they don't have a mascot anymore because the the PC Fun Police stepped in. Um, but the Illini, kind of uh, a representation and symbolizing the, the native Chief Alenowek, who represented the University of Illinois from 1926 to 2007, um, kind of paying honor and tribute to the um, Native American tribes that were out in the what is now the Illinois area. Um, they one of the coolest things about the University of Illinois is their fan section called Block I, and what they do. And I encourage listeners to take a look on YouTube. They've got these visual art card stunts that they do. So again, the student section called Block I, um, they they prepare, they practice, and they have all these visual arts, um, these these cards that they'll hold up, and they perform various pictures and animated. Um, moving pictures, if you will, creating an orange and blue foaming beer mug is one of them. Um, they'll obviously do the black eye. They'll spell things out. Um, and the cool thing about the the orange and blue foaming beer mug is the crowd will chant chug, chug, chug. And so as everybody turns their cards, <laughs> it gives the appearance that you've got this orange liquid that is going down and down and down until eventually you get this empty beer mug and everybody throws their hands up and they, they cheer and they hoot and they holler. So that's kind of cool. Um, unfortunately the Illinois football team recently has not given them uh, as much to cheer on the field as they want to, but the Illinois fans and students still know how to have a good time out there in Champaign. Um, Nice. Other chants that they like to do, similar to the Ohio spelling of that four-letter word, they will chant out I-L-I-I-N-I. So they'll do that back and forth and um, try to get the crowd revving in that one. They'll also do a thing where they'll play the William Tell Overture, uh, which sounds more like a, uh, a, a horse race tune-up. And so the students will jump and they'll uh, slightly sway left and right in doing so. And one of the cooler traditions is typically at the end of halftime and at other points in the game I've heard is that they'll play their three in one, which is essentially three fight songs that are wrapped up into one medley. So the Illini Pride, one of my favorites, Oski Wow Wow, and then the Hail the Orange at the end of its halftime show. So that's in a nutshell what they like to do down in Illinois. So uh, heading back over to the East BIP. Give us your lowdown on another school that starts with the proud letter I. 
Well, we're going to go over Chappie to Indiana, and they're nicknamed the Hoosiers. Now, obviously, Indiana is called the Hoosier State, so the reason for that, it dates back to a contractor named Hoosier that employed the Louisville and Portland Canal. They preferred to hire laborers from Indiana, and these hires were were soon called Hoosiers men, and eventually all Indianans uh, were called Hoosiers. So that's how Indiana really got their name from the And I'll be Hoosier honest, that's State. the first time I've uh, ever heard an explanation of the Hoosiers. So uh, I thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, they have Hep's Rock, and it's former football coach Terry Hepner found a, a limestone boulder on the practice field and moved it to the current location in the north end zone uh, of Memorial Stadium. So the players all touch this rock prior to each home game, similar to uh, several other uh, traditions. And I got to say, that's that's to um, me personally one of the cooler traditions because it was a little bit sad on how uh, Terry Hepner went down and, and uh, his life was tragically lost. But uh, a cool tribute to him right. and and his wife and uh, that whole family. And so I know that that's something that the IU community really rallies around. Right, right. Um, they play for a couple uh, trophies. They have the Old Oaken Bucket, uh, a, a game played uh, between them and Purdue, and they also have the Old Brass Platoon between Indiana mm-hmm. and Michigan State. Um, now, their mascot, they had an unofficial mascot of a bulldog in the 1950s. Uh, they then changed it to a bison as their official mascot for four years in the 60s, and one of their last-ditch attempts at a mascot was in 1979. They had a redheaded man in a cowboy hat called Mr. Hoosier Pride as their mascot, and he only lasted one year. So I think Indiana has ditched the uh, the effort to try to bring a a, uh, a mascot in, and, <laughs> and they're, thank they're God just because it good. you we we went over this on Twitter over the weekend, and I told you that he reminded me of an angry looking <laughs> Peter Griffin with a cowboy hat on. Now that would certainly have <laughs> a lot more flavor in 2018, but uh, or 2019. But yeah, it's uh, clearly outdated, and uh, I don't know what you could go with uh, other than him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's kick it back over to the West, Chappie. Who's well? Who's up since next? Minnesota is still hot on the irons, and the whole "row the boat" uh, mantra is going on, <laughs> that's clearly one of the the big sayings around Minneapolis: is to get your oars in the water and start rowing and keep going until you reach your destination. They also will. And this is a credit to PJ Fleck bringing back part of the the chant and part of their Minnesota Rouser fight song, the Sky You Ma. So we'll um, we'll start with the Gophers nickname and mascot. It's really a tradition that's about as old as the state. So Minnesota was called the Gopher State in 1857, and it comes from a political satire where nine gophers with the heads of local politicians pulling a steam locomotive was published in an effort to try and lobby for $5 million for a railroad proposal in western Minnesota. Um, and then later the university thought that th- since that had such popularity, that that nickname kind of stuck. Um, now, the Sky Yuma, that is a famous Minnesota phrase that even though it looks like Ski Yuma, it's actually pronounced Sky Yuma, and it's about 115 years old. So in 1884, there were two Minnesota rugby players, John Adams and Wynn Sargent, who tried to think of a fitting yell or chant for their team. So they used the word Sky, a Sioux battle cry, meaning victory, and then combined it with Yuma, which represented uh, the University of Minnesota. Um to create this team cheer. And so the phrase kind of stuck and was incorporated into both 
uh, fight songs, both Hail Minnesota and more popularly in the Minnesota Rouser song. And again, if you look closely at the Minnesota helmets, particularly on the back, you'll see that Sky Yuma either on the back uh, plate or going down the, the middle stripe on their helmet. Um, they like to do a thing called spin your head where Goldie, the furry dressed up mascot for the Gophers, um, during games, fans will ch chant, spin your head, spin your head. And Goldie, uh, eventually, once he gets enough momentum from the fan base, will oblige and twist that gopher head around and the crowd goes wild. And again, uh, prior to the 2018 success that they had, that was one of the things that uh, one of the few things that was uh, able to get a cheer from the uh, gopher fans. <laughs> um, wearing maroon for the Iowa game. Now they play Iowa for the Floyd of Rosedale trophy, which is really a bronze pig. And the two schools are, are, are not fans of one another. So since Minnesota's colors are maroon and gold, um, when they host the hated Ival or Iowa Hawkeyes, fans are encouraged to dress in only in maroon and not get confused with the Hawkeye gold. So since they share that gold color, even though it's, uh, clearly different in terms of the shade of gold. They want it known that they are much more maroon than they are anything gold that would be associated or to make sure that nobody confuses you for being an Iowa fan. And then one of the group of fans will start the chant, who hates Iowa? And it's answered by, we hate Iowa. So uh, recently I saw on Twitter with the big snow dump that happened, there was a Minnesotan who uh, shoveled in the back of their yard that says we hate Iowa and it started a back and forth a fun back and forth between gopher fans and Hawkeye fans so that's always cool to see flip very it back nice, over to the nice. west sir what about uh what's going on down in good old MD yeah well we're gonna stay in the water and go to the Maryland Terrapins and their mascot uh and and nickname was actually the uh, came about from Curly Bird, the former Maryland football coach who suggested that the Terrapin be the official mascot. Now, I didn't know this, but Maryland's official state reptile is the Terrapin, as they have um, a good collection and population of the Diamondback Terrapin. Yep. Fear the turtle. Um, so <laughs> the yep, <laughs> their official uh, mascot is named Testudo. And their their colors are red, white, black and yellow. And that represents the coat of arms of George Calvert the first Lord of Baltimore and original colonial proprietor of Maryland. So if you see the uh, uh, official Maryland seal or the, the state flag, it's got the uh, that red and white and then the the black and yellow that you see all over Maryland's yeah. jerseys nowadays. Um, yeah, so you can thank helmets. George Calvert so. for those ugly looking uh, threads that they've got, <laughs> even though Under Armour sponsors them. <laughs> Ugh, what a hideous color combination. But I digress. I'm back on that soapbox <laughs> right. there, Bip. So... <laughs> With my Coke in hand. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I couldn't really find too much in, in relation to uh, traditions, chants, and such for Maryland. They do have the Mighty Sound of Maryland uh, cannon, which fires after each Terrapin uh, score at home. So um, that does it in for, for Maryland. So outside of their loud uniforms, uh, there wasn't 
too much to speak of, but uh, let's let's take it back to the West and see if uh, our old Cornhuskers can uh, redeem well, us here, Well, um, they keep it a lot simpler than Maryland does. They do have the red, and that's pretty much it because I don't consider white to be official team colors. <laughs> I think anybody can have the color white. Um, but at Nebraska, it's more than just red. It's go big red. So the Cornhusker nickname is pretty simple. It's obviously an homage to the the large agricultural staple crop of the state. Um, but little known fact here, Bip, Cornhuskers became the label in 1900. They previously were the Old Gold Knights, the Antelopes, the Rattlesnake Boys, and believe it or not, the Bug Eaters. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I can't make this stuff up. Well, that makes them appear real intelligent. Yes, down there you in can Nebraska. imagine. Yeah, you can <laughs> imagine why eaters. they needed to switch up to something a little bit more appropriate. Um, so <laughs> they they actually trademarked the Huskers name, and so that was eight years ago. So really, when you talk to Nebraska fans, they are more the Huskers than they are the Corn Huskers. So a lot of true Nebraskans drop that corn because that's pretty much goes without saying. And Huskers, I think gives you just a little bit more of a, a psychological edge because there's not too much fearful about corn other than when you have to uh, uh, excrete it out the other end. So <laughs> um, they do something called the tunnel walk uh, that culminates with the horseshoe. So the story is uh, what they do, Bip, is um, they will walk out of their locker room and go through this tunnel. And the last thing that they touch upon entering the field at Memorial Stadium is this horseshoe. And it's really cool because what they'll do is, like most programs now, they'll video record the players walking from that locker room and, and the whole tunnel entrance. But they'll come out to Alan Parsons Project's Sirius, which reverberates throughout the stadium. And the video is shown around the stadium. And those 100,000-plus fans really get uh, revved up. But back to the horseshoe, though. The story goes that on or near Nebraska Field, after Nebraska defeated Notre Dame and the Four Horsemen in 1922, that was one of the last games played at Nebraska Field. So the next year, the Huskers played Notre Dame again in the new Memorial Stadium, which is where they play now, and all the players touched the horseshoe before the game. Um, and it was said that that horseshoe was found when they were kind of digging up uh, or, or when they when they knocked down the old Nebraska field. And so one of the uh, construction people found it and asked the football program, hey, do you want this? And they kind of looked at it as, well, it was our good luck uh, uh, symbol for when we knocked off the, the feared four horsemen. And so they kept it. And that allegedly has kept its way in Memorial Stadium ever since. So I think that's kind of a cool little tradition they've got there. Um, yeah. dating back to the nineties and the two thousands, it hasn't really been the case as of late, but there's the black shirt defense, which was really, um, mm -hmm. an honor given to, uh, the starting defensive players for the Nebraska Huskers. Um, uh, supposedly there was a, uh, there was a deal between, um, or between a, a vendor and some of these black jerseys. And uh, they hadn't been selling very well. And originally they gave it to the defensive line of the Nebraska football team. Um, so it was really something that they got because of availability, but then it grew into be a, a symbol of status. And um, they also do something called throwing the bones. So when you are on the Nebraska team and you're on the Nebraska defense, whether you have a black shirt or not, uh, after a big play, you, you mark your, 
uh, forearms crossing each other in an X to sig- symbolize that, uh, you know, the offense is going nowhere and you can put a big X on the play sheet for, for the opposing team. Um, fans and, and players also give a three finger. Okay. So really making the O with your thumb and, uh, index finger, and then putting the other three up to symbolize third down. And really what that symbolizes is the three fingers. And then the little letter O with your other two, your thumb and your, uh, or index finger that's supposed to symbolize three and out. So kind of a cool thing that they do there in Nebraska. Um, there's the releasing of the red balloons. So before you enter the game, you're supposed to look for vendors that are selling these red balloons. And for decades after Nebraska scores their first points of the game, you see a sea of balloons that are being released more than just 99 red balloons, but you, you get those going all throughout the stadium. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, of course they had the sellout streak, which I think is really cool. Every home game since 1962 has been sold out. And there's also the case being made that when Nebraska sells out, Lincoln becomes the third largest city in that state. So that was always kind of a cool story. I, I, uh, found interesting. Uh, and then they're also known for something called the kick off the shoes where they will take their shoes off. And, and the story really has no, uh, reasoning behind it i wasn't able to find a reason but i my assumption is that you know okay you you kick off your shoes and you hold them up and you wave them and that signifies that we're ready to go and then nebraska is known for having some of the nicest fans and and i can attest to that in in conversations throughout social media and um you know seeing nebraska fans come to ryan field out in evanston for northwestern games uh they truly are they they appreciate the game they appreciate and respect their opponents and so i know nebraska sometimes as a program gets uh, a bad name but i can speak fondly of their fans for the most part every every fan base has their their black eyes but um by and large, the the big red they they come and they they do it well. So, well, we're we're done with red now, Bip. I think we've we've gone a little bit too far on that. Let's get to a, a nice green color. Tell us what goes on with the green and white in East Lansing. Yeah, well, we're going to go to East Lansing where it's always a beautiful day for football, and that's something that's said by the PA announcer after describing the weather, regardless of how nice or poor the weather is on that given game day. And he says that as the Spartans come into the the stadium. So the Michigan State Spartans came about this name from a newspaper contest that allowed readers to write in with name suggestions. So um, that was the one that was adopted and their mascot is named Sparty and is one of the more energetic and well-regarded mascots in the country. Won numerous awards for such... um, charisma and uh and energetic uh display with the fans uh at the games on yeah. the sidelines so one of the better mascots in the country in my opinion the uh one of the biggest traditions is sparty watch and that happens every year when uh or every every two years when michigan travels to east lansing to play the spartans the students and fans will surround the sparty statue to make st- statue to make sure that it isn't defiled or uh vandalized in any way from their rival wolverine fans um their their biggest saying is regardless of where you're at um if if a michigan state fan notices another uh spartan fan one will say go green and it's always customary for the other one to respond with go white 
and they'll say that throughout the stadium as well during during uh, games. But we'll do this uh, anytime they see each other out of the field or off the field as well. So that's what we got for the Spartans. And uh, Chappie, let's kick it over your way to see what's going down. Yep, in Iowa. The Hawkeye State, which uh, I thought that this was one of the more puzzling and interesting reasons for a nickname. So Iowa um, is the name of a character, a fictional character in uh, Cooper's Last of the Mohicans. So um, the the state of Iowa, their uh, Chamber of Commerce page actually talks about that. And so they say in one account, it's, it's a tribute to the Black Hawk Sauk Indian tribe, but um, the University of Iowa and the state of Iowa also credits it to the scout named Iowa in that Last of the Mohicans book. So um, it, even cooler than the Tiger Hawk mascot or the logo that's on the side of their helmet, which Hayden Fry brought when he got to Iowa in the, uh, I believe, late 60s or early 70s, um, is Herky the mascot. So Herky the Hawkeye. And the name Herky comes from a reference to the powerful Greek god Hercules. So. I think probably the most popular tradition in college football and maybe one of the more heartwarming ones currently is the wave to the children's hospital out at Kinnick stadium. So starting just in 2017, the Hawkeyes began this Iowa wave, which is a new tradition where um, Iowa fans turn away from the field at the end of the first quarter. And now opposing teams have gotten into it as well. Basically everybody in the stadium, even uh, the broadcast crews will will make it a point to delay commercial break and they will uh, show this and it, and it gives you goosebumps every time. But what they do is they turn to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital that overlooks Kinnick Stadium. And on the top floor, there's basically a press box that they built for all of the children that are there who are just looking for something to lift their spirits and looking for um, some inclusion. And so it's really cool to see. And Bip, I've got goosebumps going right now as you've got 90,000 people turning and waving to you and letting you know that you're more important even than uh, an important Iowa football game. And I think if you ask most of those children, they'll say, no, let's get back to the game. Let's go Hawks and let's, let's, let's beat who our opponent is. So, um, yeah, one, one of the coolest, coolest things that any university's done is to, to incorporate this, to incorporate the, yeah, you know, the children's hospital with the stadium. I mean, a, a phenomenal idea. And Whoever the coolest thing about it is I have never, ever gotten the impression from any account that I've read or anybody or even just my own assumption that it was for a publicity stunt. I mean, this was truly, I think, just somebody's idea that, right. hey, you know what? Why don't we turn and wave to the the children up there? And then it just kind of caught, it went viral. And I think even if you ask um Kirk Ferentz and uh, the administration at the University of Iowa and the athletic department. Is this what you envision? Almost all of them would say, no, we just wanted to do something nice for these kids. And it, and it just caught on right. and everybody. And, and the cool thing is that even the opponents get into it. And so now it's even to the point where when I was on the road, um, they'll stop and teams will, after the first quarter, do kind of a, a symbolic wave either to the cameras or they'll turn in the direction where um, Iowa City is and they'll wave to those children, even though they're not right side by side. So really cool. 
Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, another cool thing is uh, Niall Kinnick's Heisman speech in the Jumbotron. So Niall Kinnick, for those who are not familiar with Iowa football, he was Iowa, the University of Iowa's only Heisman Trophy winner so far. Um, in his 1939 Heisman speech, Kinnick uh, talked about his time at the University of Iowa, saying, I thank God I was warring on the gridirons of the Midwest and not on the battlefields of Europe. Um, ironically, Kinnick was later killed during a training flight crash off the coast of Venezuela in 1943 at the age of 24. His body was never found, so the football stadium was named in his honor in 1972, hence the name Kinnick Stadium. And today, before every home game, a video of Niall Kinnick's Heisman Trophy winner speech is played at the scoreboard. And I've seen it played on, on YouTube, and I've, I've heard Iowa fans talk about it. It is another one of those things that gets your uh, chills going down your spine and, and a cool thing. Um, and then another part is Kirk Ferentz actually brought this in when he was brought to kind of revive the Iowa program. It's the swarm. And so what happens is, um, the, the stadium lights will kind of dim, the fans start to roar and similar to enter Sandman. What happens here is they'll play ACDC's back in black, which is one of my favorite, uh, sports anthems. And, um, so this swarm is what they'll do is Herky the Hawkeye will lead the team out and they'll jog slowly on the field through the tunnel, but everybody's holding hands and it's in this formation. So it's not uh, a trail of players who are just out there running and uh, waving to the cameras and the crowd and trying to give that me, me, me approach. Ferentz and his staff make sure that everybody knows that this is a swarm of, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, killer bees with the black and gold coloring um they're going to come at you and they're they're locked together as a team which symbolizes strength and unity and support for each other and it surely shows because kinnick stadium has become one of the tougher places to play to play especially at night in the big 10 right and, right. and again you, and again you so can't we'll go, go wrong with uh acdc blaring on any uh loudspeaker so Maybe Rutgers right. could, could play their uh, their album a time or two and, and get things going over there. <laughs> yeah, the Queensmen should uh, right. think about that. So k- kicking it from Hawkeye Nation to College Station, we'll go with uh, Thanks, Penn man. State. And their nickname is the Nittany Lions. And this really came about from a baseball game between Penn State and Princeton in 1904. Um, a man by the name of Joe Mason was shown a statue of Princeton's famous Bengal Tiger to show how merciless the baseball team would be on the field. So since Penn State didn't have an official mascot at the time, Mason replied with a lie about the Nittany Lion, an animal that was described as being the fiercest beast of them all who could beat even the Tiger. So Penn State ended up beating Princeton that day, and the students, the fans, and the alumni really adopted that nickname over time. Uh, and it, they're they're... When you see the the pictures of a Nittany lion, it's really just a, a mountain lion or a cougar within the area. Um, but uh, yeah, really a, a, a mythical creature that was created by by Mason that day. Um, now, Penn State is is called College Station or Happy Valley. Now, Happy Valley is given to that name came about from dates back to the Great Depression and. This area uh, was generally not hit hard financially in the Great Depression because of the presence of the university. So that name just kind of stuck around from uh, those that were were fortunate enough to not feel the the hard hitting financial problems of the Great Depression. the The biggest tradition that Penn State has is one that you can easily see and is one of the coolest things to see on telecasted Penn State games is mm-hmm. their whiteout games. 
So these are reserved for the biggest games of the year where fans will wear all white. And these games are usually the loudest games of the year as well. So it's really a cool scene to see both uh, here at Penn State or anywhere across the country where you can get the entire fan base to wear one solid color. And I I would assume that playing there as an opponent, it's really intimidating as well. Um, So this past year has been against Ohio State. um, So it really is reserved for their their biggest game of the year uh, at home. And while the Nittany Lions are playing, you can always hear the we are Penn State uh, that's shouted across from one half of the stadium to the other to really give that nice uh, cohesion and um, sense of unity within the, yeah, within and, the crowd. Yeah, and Bip, as you well know, I uh, was a former Penn State fan, um, you know, and, and there's yep. various reasons why I kind of dimmed a little bit on that. But um, yeah, that We Are Penn uh-huh. State chant is a really cool thing. It's 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 a thing of unity among those fans. The whiteout is really cool. And to my knowledge, I think that Penn State is really the first program to kick in the whole zombie nation chant that almost everybody does now. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll play it. And then after the, Whoa, Oh, Oh, and then they'll all chant out. We are Penn state. And uh, I mean, when it's going and when you see it, I mean, ESPN and ABC, they'll take extended timeouts to show you what's going down. And you really get a feel that you're in that stadium. And having been there a handful of times at Beaver stadium, it is pretty intimidating. I mean, 107 or 110,000, I think, plus fans now, especially all clad in white. I know that they played Ohio State, Michigan, and some of the whiteout games. And yeah, it's it's definitely not, you, you're hoping that you're not that game on their schedule uh, when the whiteout does occur. And if you are, you better be preparing for 365 days because the Nittany Lions are coming after you. <laughs> for sure. Well, Chappie, let's have you uh, let's let's boiler up and have you talk about uh, some of the traditions yep. at Purdue. Go Purdue. Well, the Boilermaker nickname, uh, aside from being a pretty tasty drink of whiskey inside of a beer, I know it may not be your uh, your shot there, Bip, but um, <laughs> yuck. it's yuck. <laughs> it, I guess everything tastes good when you've had quite a few other drinks. But uh, uh, I remember when. <laughs> Purdue beat Michigan in 1999 when Drew Brees was the quarterback there. I was celebrating amidst so many Michigan fans and had a few Boilermakers that day. So, um, well, the the <laughs> moniker comes from the popular reference for all things Purdue. It's it's essentially, I mean, being a school of engineering. Um, the name was first used in 1891 when a reporter described the year's winning football team and, and talked about them as a group of Boilermakers or steam-powered Uh, machines that were just motoring or bulldozing their way down the tracks. Uh, Their colors are unique. They are actually old gold and black, and it's in their fight song and something pretty unique to Purdue. Although with Jeff Brown there now, they're kind of going more toward the metallic and flashy gold and kind of going away from that old gold at times. But that old gold and black is a cool thing to look. I think that's a cool color combination. Um, the term boiler up, which you referenced is originally was created by the wife of a, of a Purdue football coach, Arnett Tiller in order to boost enthusiasm in Ross eight stadium. So Joe Tiller, who really revived the Purdue program in the late nineties, early two thousands and coached the, uh, previously mentioned Drew Brees. Um, she came up with this, uh, this saying, and it was said that in the days of steam-powered locomotives, when the fireman got the fire in the coal box hot enough for the engine to run, he would yell out, boilers up. So uh, 
one of the chants that they have in Ross Aid Stadium is whenever there's a first down, the the uh, the whole stadium will yell boiler up and then they'll clap twice and then boiler up and then they'll kind of extend their fist up in the air uh, when the word up is exclaimed. They also are known for having uh, one of the world's biggest drums, in fact, the world's largest uh, bass drum. And it's known as the BBD to the AAMB, which is uh, the marching band there at Purdue. Introduced in 1921, the drum is more than 10 feet tall and has the exact dimensions um, that are only revealed to the elite members of the uh, of the big bass drum uh, or big bass drum crew. And they spend hours learning to maneuver and how to carry this enormous instrument. And it really is a ritual. Only the, a select few can have the opportunity to use it, to handle it. And um, they don't let just anybody bang the big bass drum. Uh, selected alumni and, and famous celebrities who have shown loyalty to Purdue are the ones that have been able to do that. So, And I think uh, it, it would be very fitting to end on Purdue here with talking about um, Tyler Trent and um, God bless you, Tyler, and, and your family. Uh, he was another cool story that... Um, somebody who was stricken with cancer, but anytime that he was talked to in the media, and he certainly became one of the most popular sports figures in the sporting world this year, never, ever, ever was about himself. He always deflected things to Purdue. He was clearly one of the biggest Boilermaker fans. And that whole scene when Purdue trounced Ohio State in Ross Aid Stadium at night. Yeah. Um, it was a cool thing to see. And, you know, Bip, uh, without getting too deep into religion, you know, that's to me one of the signs that uh, there's got to be some sort of higher power up, regardless of what deity anybody believes in. There there has to be supernatural forces that are working because for that to happen to that young man in, in such a scene like that, um, it was it was almost like Hollywood scripted it. So very cool thing. Sad to see uh, one of Purdue's biggest fans go, but uh, we know that he's in a good place and, and God bless to the the Trent family. Yeah, that was definitely one of the coolest uh, uh, moments of the season. The stars all aligned for that one, and it was just awesome how how everything came together in the, in the, in that particular yeah. moment that night. Well, um, I'm going to let you go with the next one, Bip. Uh, the team down in Ann Arbor. Tell us about the maze and blue. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I had the privilege of speaking of the Wolverines, and they. They got that name as, uh, for those of you that don't know, Michigan is the Wolverine State. Now, this doesn't necessarily refer much to the animal itself, as we don't have any within <laughs> Michigan, but it dates back to a dispute in 1835 between, of course, no. Michigan and Ohio over the the Toledo strip of land. Um, so the rumors in Ohio at that time described Michiganians or Michiganders as being vicious and bloodthirsty as Wolverines. So being that it's the Wolverine state, similar to the Hoosier state in Indiana, the uh, Michigan university um, adopted the Wolverines as their mascot. A um, couple traditions that they have, they have the go blue banner. And since 1962, the Wolverines, when they run out onto the field, they run under this banner and you'll see a lot of them jump and tap the, uh, the banner for, for good luck. And the banner reads go blue M club supports you. And so that's one of the more iconic sites uh, for any home game um, yeah. in Ann Arbor. They have the the Victor's fight song, which uh, is one of the more recognizable and fight more, songs more in the country. Overrated. And it, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> trying to keep this a little uh, less slanted in my <laughs> right. in my review here, but uh, ag- agreed that they combine that with the "Let's Go Blue" song, uh, or you know, kind of the the "Let's Go" band, uh, where they the the fans and the, and the the student section shout "Let's Go Blue," and and that that plays throughout the game to give Michigan two really solid band songs um, as kind of uh, those that that are more iconic and play throughout the game. A um, couple uh, sayings they have. There's the the obvious go blue that uh, most Michigan fans will chant and uh, kind of say as a greeting and, and in passing to to fellow Michigan fans. And then there's the those who stay will be champions. And and this one started in 1969 by legendary coach Bo Schembechler. Uh, he realized uh, this was realized that. Um, as the year when when Michigan knocked off number one Ohio State and uh, captured the Big Ten championship game, uh, the Big Ten championship that year. So um, after after stating that and and having such a successful year, that really stuck yeah. with the program, and it uh, rings throughout the university yep. even even today. So. Going from the uh, the Wolverines, let's hear about the uh, the Badgers. Okay, over there we're going to talk Chappie. about the Badgers here in Madison, Wisconsin. So <laughs> the Badger nickname comes from the early 1800s. Settlers came to the Midwest in droves, mining for lead, and coincidentally, Badgers were abundant in southwestern Wisconsin in the prairie habitat that was out there. So settlers who were working in the lead mines were nicknamed Badgers because number one, they were digging. But also many of them lived in burrow-like dwellings throughout the winter as they had to stay close for the job and, and needed to get paid. So um, they looked and, and acted a lot like badgers in their digging ways and also for hibernating in some of those burrows and, and catching some sleep after a, a day of, of mining. Um their nickname or their mascot is nicknamed Bucky the Badger. Their colors are cardinal and white, even though they themselves refer to themselves as red. Cardinal is officially the the shade of red that they use at the University of Wisconsin. Um, probably one of the more recognizable traditions is the jump around tradition at the end of the third quarter. So this started back in yep. 1998, and it starts with the trumpet fanfare that, and then it follows up with the bonanza theme that, and while that's going on, they're watching the uh, the animated mascot race for the different seating sections on the jumbotron, and then once that's completed, then you hear the horns that start the dun dun. Dun, dun. And then it crescendos with fans literally jumping around and it's both awe-inspiring and a little nerve-wracking as well because I one of the things I always remember about Wisconsin football was back in 1993 when they defeated Michigan and the fans stormed the field and tragically there were a lot of injuries and some deaths with people being trampled. So um, I was a little bit surprised that that tradition kind of took after such a tragedy just 15 years prior, but it is one of the cooler sights to see. And obviously, uh, engineering and, um, structural integrity is a lot better now than what it was back in the early nineties. So rest assured it is safe and uh, house of pain, maybe a one hit wonder, but, uh, that is a, uh, a wonder of beauty out in, in Madison. So 
And then uh, continuing <laughs> on, after the game's done, they have something called the fifth quarter where the band has a post-game party and they'll play and fans are going to dance and sing. And regardless of the outcome of the game, you're expected to stay and, and cheer on the band and kind of have that extra, you know, last call, if you will, with, with Madison, Wisconsin uh, Badger fans, and they'll sing On Wisconsin, their fight song. Uh, they'll also sing their alma mater uh, named Varsity. And then also You've Said It All, all which is an old Budweiser song and uh, kind of a, a fan favorite, not only in Madison, Wisconsin, but they also have their own rendition down in Georgia Tech as well. So kind of a cool thing. And obviously the Budweiser with Milwaukee being a, a big city of, of brewing, um, that's where that origin kind of comes from. So well, give us the Buckeyes. We go from Bucky the Badger to the Ohio State Buckeyes. Bip, tell us about the Scarlet and Gray. Yep. So they got this nickname as um, of the Buckeyes as the official state tree of Ohio is the Buckeye tree. Um, one cool thing that I found out is the Gold Pants Club. And what this is is a process to where a gold charm of a pair of football pants is given to the players and coaches following wins over Michigan every year. This started in 1934 when first-year coach Francis Schmidt uh, told those wondering how Ohio State would fare against uh, heavily favored Michigan that year. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Schmidt's Buckeyes then went on to beat Michigan four years in a row by a combined 114 to nothing score. And if so, um, really something cool to commemorate each Michigan win for the. Yep. The, the and if you're not sure what they look like, look on eBay. I think Terrell Pryor still has his uh, up there that he's willing to sell. um the buckeyes also have the victory bell and this is rang by one of the school's fraternities uh for about 15 minutes after each win or uh up to about 30 minutes after a win over michigan they have the buckeye grove which is uh a spot to where they plant a buckeye tree for every uh or in honor of each of ohio state's all americans which continues to get larger and larger and larger (laughs) Um, they, they also have the best damn band in the land. And for any of you that haven't seen any of these, um, halftime shows, do yourself a favor and go look at at least some of them, as I'm sure there's a million of them posted. The, the band not only sounds great, but the, the, the movements that they have and the pictures and the animations that they have, uh, throughout the halftime show is really second to none. Uh, one of the cooler ones that I saw one side had the Ohio state flag uh, up on a pirate ship and it was right next to another ship that had the Michigan flag and it showed a, a cannonball being fired and the Michigan ship uh, sinking and the flag uh, falling down as well. So a lot of, a lot of cool animations they do with that, with the best damn band on the land. And uh, their most notable uh, saying is the uh, part of the stadium will say, OH and the other side will say, I O and they'll repeat that uh, ad nauseum for some, but uh, throughout the throughout the game. So, so that's what we got with uh, Ohio State, Chappie. Let's finish it up with your Northwestern. Yep, I just Wildcats. want to give out a uh, nerd alert. Nerd alert. Um, as as many of you probably know, <laughs> yeah. push, push the bridge your glasses right. up, and uh... um, you know on on our podcast, uh, we've done a couple of of Northwestern specific 
wild casts, if you will. Uh, so give that a look if you, if you haven't done so already. But Northwestern, uh, the Wildcat nickname comes back in 1924. There was a Chicago Tribune reporter named Wallace Abbey who described the Northwestern team um, as saying football players had not come down from Evanston. Wildcats would be a name better suited to Coach Glenn Thistlethwaite's boys, which, by the way, is, is a terrible name for anybody <laughs> who's got a little bit of a lisp. Um <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we get the wildcat nickname, and our mascot is named Willie. Um, one of the cool traditions, uh, even though it's uh, steeped in tragedy, Randy Walker, who was the coach of the Wildcats in the early 2000s, uh, tragically had a heart attack. And uh, the, the fortunate thing from that, the, the Phoenix from the Ashes, is that gave way to current head coach Pat Fitzgerald and the great things he's done uh, since taking those reins. But Coach Fitzgerald initiated before his first home game as a head coach something called Walk With Us. And a play on Walker's last name, uh, the walk takes place two and a half hours before kickoff at home games, and fans are lining the area now known as Walker Way, and they cheer on the cats, and the band plays the fight song until every member has gone into the locker room. And uh, a really cool thing if you're a Wildcat football fanatic. Um there's the Northwestern Stripe, which a lot of people aren't too familiar with, but it actually is more well-known than people think. Um, the pattern, which basically has a two thin stripes sandwiching a, a thicker stripe in the middle, is seen on NCAA officials' uniforms, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and also the New York Giants, and obviously now the Northwestern Wildcats football uniforms. And in their end zones, they'll also have that stripe going through with the Northwestern name uh, cutting through the middle of it. In 2012, the Cats reclaimed the stripe by adding the Northwestern stripe across their jersey um, as a tribute to the 1909 team that first wore it. So uh, it's not just a Northwestern thing, but they do have the trademark rights to the name. Um, there's the trust yourself sign that was another thing implemented by the late coach, Randy Walker. Um, he actually created this tradition at the university of Miami in Ohio in the mid 1990s. And it came with Walker when he, uh, was hired for, to replace Gary Barnett at Northwestern in 1999. And so what it is, Bip, is this two by four board that is painted black with the words, trust yourself on it. And so when asked about it, Walker said, uh, it's kind of a metaphor. He says, it's easy to walk across this board when it's lying on the ground, but if you suspend it 200 feet in the air, it becomes more difficult because of your fear of what will happen if you make a misstep. But uh, physically, it's still the same thing. Uh, it's it's not any wider. It's not any narrower. Uh, the only difference is, you know, maybe any sort of psycho psychological fears that you have. So he used this as a motivational tool to encourage players to trust themselves. So again, paying homage to Coach Walker, uh, the team will hold this sign out and Cody Seda, who is their uh, football director of uh, operations, will hold it up and every player coming out onto the field and also leaving the field to go back into the locker room will touch this trust yourself sign. Um, and then the last thing that's kind of cool down in Evanston is turning the clock purple. So during the 1995 season where Northwestern got out of the dark ages where they won hardly any football games and took the college football world by storm and, and won the Big Ten, went to the Rose Bowl, the uh, Rebecca Crown Clock Tower decided to have a little fun and they turned the face of the clock, which is normally white, they turned it purple. And so 
the university decided to keep that clock face purple until the team lost a game. And so a tradition was born. And so now after every Northwestern victory, not just in football, but in other major sports as well, they'll turn that uh, clock tower purple as well. So that's that's 14 teams, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, That's going to wrap it up for us on this Traditions podcast. And we know that we probably gave you maybe a little bit more information than uh, what you thought you were going to hear. But Bip and I are always of the belief that it's better to have more of something than not enough. And so uh, we, we thank you for listening to it. You found us wherever you're listening to us now. But if you're looking for an easier platform or something that might be more suitable to whatever device you want to listen to, You can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and Radio Public. We want to thank all of you for listening, especially those of you who are back again and not giving in to the dark days of the college football offseason. Bip and I, as always, try to to fill your uh, loneliness with the excitement that leads up to kickoff in August. We'll always help you get your fix, and we strongly hope that you continue to subscribe to listen, but also spread the word and help us be heard. If you like what you hear and are propelled to do so, you can even rate us with an honest and hopefully positive review. On our next episode, Bip and I are going to continue our conference reviews and examine what happened in the 2018 season in the Big Ten Conference. So thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. I am Chappie. And remember, biggest isn't always best, so thanks for choosing the right over the rest. BFC, see ya! Bye.